Hello everyone, I hope you are well. I'm Carlos Carnicero Uravallen and I want to welcome you all to Future is Blue, a series of podcasts bringing together top experts from academia and think tanks to discuss the most pressing European economic and policy challenges of today. This is a Funkas Europe initiative and we hope we can bring new ideas for a more inspiring debate about Europe. The pandemic has changed pretty much everything, forcing us to think of new ways of doing things. After more than a year of remote work, now that we're entering a post-pandemic world, the future looks more and more hybrid, with a mix of office and home-based working. Now, what are the implications of these trends? I'm joined by two great voices that will help us understand the ups and downs of the new ways of working. I'd like to introduce you to Cécile Joly, who is team leader at France Strategy, in charge of jobs and skills forecasts. Thank you for joining us, Cécile. Hello. Great. And you're joining us from Paris. And joining us from Madrid is Raymond Torres, Funka's Europe Director. Hello, Raymond. Hello. Thank you for being with us. The magnitude and the speed of change for work patterns has been unprecedented. This includes, among other trends, teleworking, remote work, so-called labor nomadism, the multiplication of self-employed work. So, Cecile, to what extent are these changes irreversible? And I wonder, do they signal a new pattern that is here to stay? Um, three behavioral changes are observed that could continue in the future. Teleworking, the decline in business travels due to the development of teleconferencing and the preference for more localized tourism based on the possibility of remote working due, for example, to the development of secondary homes. If we assume, and we assume that uh, based on a European model and on that of the Bureau of Labour Statistics, if we assume that um, 25% of people will be able to telework three days a week. These behavioral changes would have relatively significant sectoral impacts. They will first lead to a 6% drop in transport demand due to the increase in homework and reduction business trips, that is to say um, around um, uh, 40% of the demand for passenger transport three days a week and decrease in flight demand. These changes uh, will then lead to a decline in international transport due to the decline in business travel and the preference for local tourism. The demand for transport equipment and the demand for accommodation and food services will be affected and the demand in these two sectors can also be reduced by teleworking. There will be less catering to companies and means taken outside that will not be compensated by the delivery of means. Building demand will also be affected by teleworking, fewer offices and a drop in hotel attendance, less constriction due to the lower occurrence of business trips. 
this demand could drop by 5%. And finally, energy demand will be greater in the residential sector and less in transport. As a result, even in the event of a very strong recovery, the sectoral and business composition of economies could be substantially modified. So, um, thank you, Cecile. I think, I think the implications of the, the, the changes we are seeing are, are remarkable and go well beyond the specific nature of uh, and, and the way we work. Is that right, Raymond? Yes, absolutely. And uh, I think Cecile has described very well the, the latest state of knowledge on, on this matter. Uh, and I would add to this that uh, the, um, I think this will lead to not only sectoral changes and, and changes in the work patterns, but also changes in the way work is organized within enterprises. Uh, because somehow the pandemic has acted as an accelerator of things that would have happened over uh, an extended period of time. But because we had to work from home, also we, you know, enterprises have, uh, and also workers themselves, have come to realize that uh, there are things which has, are not done very efficiently just by being present at the office or in the workplace. Uh, and also that uh, what matters is not so much how much, how many hours you spend in the office or at the workplace, but rather uh, uh, the uh, ability of workplaces to tap on the in innovative potential of people, of every individual. And I think this is uh, both a, a great opportunity for many people who maybe were um, embedded into uh, complex hierarchies, uh, work, uh, hierarchical work uh, organizations. In fact, flatter organizations are, are much more efficient and have you know, we have come to realize the importance of flatter organization. But so the, the, this, this, of course, re, uh, represents many opportunities for people, but also big challenges because, of course, uh, uh, this is, there, there will be a, a transition. We are already in a transition. And also uh, it, this can lead to uh, a new forms of inequalities, uh, inequalities uh, between people who can telework and benefit from many of the things that Cecile mentioned before. Vis-à-vis uh, -vis others who are in sectors uh, where those practices are, are less less prevailing, and also inequalities between different types of uh, of jobs or tasks, uh, big rewards for those who you know that have those innovative potentials, have good interpersonal skills, and uh, more problems for those who perform tasks which are much more related on presence at the workplace or a routine type of uh, tasks. And so I think it's both an opportunity and a challenge that we have before us. So I, I wonder what are the right policies that, that governments should think of in order to do this in the right way? Because I think the magnitude of, of, of change is critical and the implications that you described, Cecile, are remarkable for certain sectors. So I wonder what kind of policy framework is the right one in order to to have the best of, of the new world? Of course, uh, we, we will have uh, winners and losers. And uh, in this perspective, uh, it is crucial uh, to be able uh, to, to, to retraining the workers because to, 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 uh, to, to facilitate a transition from one activity to another. And, to, to, to achieve this goal, it is crucial to be able to identify the skills held by employees 
uh, in uh, the 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 the, um, the occupation uh, which be declinant, um, uh, uh, the, the, the and uh, it's. This identification of the skis uh, can be the, the skis which could be transferred from one activity to another. And it is necessary to be able to adapt vocational training to the additional needs of workers in order to access new occupations. Uh, however, uh, this individual modularity of training um, based on valuing acquired experience is difficult to achieve. Huh? And it is largely a working progress, uh, even if we uh, observe recent developments uh, in the establishment of skills repositories by occupation in member states. Um, but uh, this is not well linked to existing training uh, now. It's a long process. So, Raymond, do you, do you agree that the, the, the challenge to adapt so fast and to train people at the speed of change is, is, is quite difficult, right? It is quite difficult, and I completely agree. This is probably a, a, the biggest challenge or one of the biggest challenges associated with the, the, the ongoing work changes in work patterns. I would add to this that uh, one worry which is much less present than some people thought before is the whether enough jobs will be created so i i, I think that the the real challenge is more in terms of um, the sectors where the jobs are created the tasks where jobs will exist the skills that we need to perform those jobs and the incomes we get from those jobs rather than the fact that there will be new jobs i mean uh, even though there were some very gloomy predictions a few years ago concerning automation, robotization, and therefore the, a shortage of, of uh, jobs, quantitative shortage of jobs. In fact, this has not materialized. Uh, before the crisis, around 30 million jobs, net new jobs were created in the world every year. And now, as the recovery takes shape after the pandemic, we, we see again uh, a, a process of really, relatively fast job creation. Look at the US, which started the recovery earlier than Europe, even within Europe, in a country like Spain, for example, we've seen relatively fast job creation, even though we still have lots of people in uh, job sharing schemes. Yeah? So I think there's no shortage of jobs, it's more the type of jobs. So we need to, as Cecil says, help prepare for, for those jobs in terms of the skills and also facilitate uh, um, sometimes sectoral reallocation. So in fact, it's not is 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 a human capital investment in the broad sense. We need also uh, well-performing active labor market policies so that uh, those who lost their job are able to obtain new employment, perhaps in different tasks or different jobs or different sectors. And also, we need to ensure so it's, it's education, uh, labor reallocation, and mobility of people, but also. We need to protect people uh, because they, uh, what, what happens is that the uh, social protection system, which uh, has prevailed since more or less the Second World War, the welfare state, if you wish, is being challenged by the, trans the technological transformations themselves. For example, if you look at funding, funding arrangements used to uh, be based mainly on uh, salaried employment through social contributions, but now because there's a diversification in forms of work. Social contributions in terms of employees cannot be the sole or the main 
source of funding. We need to broaden the funding base of social protection. We also need to ensure portability of benefits, of social benefits between different types of jobs, portability of training also between different types of employment. So the uh, training system which, which, which prevailed at least in some countries uh, since the Second World War was a training system based on the enterprise, but the changes are such that um, besides the enterprise, we probably need also to base training on the individuals themselves and provide training opportunities for individuals themselves. So these are very significant challenges uh, that we have to face in a short period of time. So um, are we indeed uh, living in a world of faster automation of certain tasks and jobs facilitated by digital technology? Because as Raymond said, we've been talking about this for a while. But um, I, I wonder whether the, 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 the pandemic has, has made change, uh, has made real change right now. Cecilia, any, th any thoughts on that? Yes, I think the health crisis has, in fact, accelerated the digitization of the economy with risks in, in terms of employment, not in all occupation and activities. But e-commerce, for example, is experiences an unparalleled expansion and cultural and medical practices are also becoming highly digitalized. Uh, it's not a new pattern, no, no, not at all, but the path has been accelerated by the pandemic and of course the lockdowns. And as Rema mentioned, uh, there will be uh, losers and winners. Uh, some activities will create jobs and some activities uh, will uh, destroy jobs. So commerce uh, is um, is an example because uh, the digitization of customer pathways uh, is accelerating due to the pandemic. Huh? Um, but we have also an increase uh, in the concentration of international players. Global oligopolies uh, are reinforced huh, in e-commerce. And we have also new forms of competition with the emergence of rapid delivery platforms on the model of Uber Glovo in the field of food delivery, which has so far been relatively untouched by automation. And uh, the automation of checkouts, checkouts is gaining momentum, uh, as are the dark stores, which are, uh, as you know, warehouses in town, allowing products to be delivered very quickly and nearby. So the number of jobs required for the same added value could decline with the closure of department stores that have become unprofitable and the decline of cashers or salesperson in mass distribution whose work is automated, outsourced to security and logistics provider. Digitization and the increased capacity to work online could make it possible to relocate services, to offshoring services, including skilled ones, and to accentuate international compet competition uh, in a segment of employment which has hitherto been preserved, in particular in developed nations. Of course, linguistic and cultural barriers remain strong, but in certain occupations, such as computer programming, accounting, auditing or translation, uh, this is already the case and this trend could affect consulting engineering now. There is a risk.
So, so I think I think what you said. Uh, let me let me stop there for a second because what you said is very interesting and and in, on paper sounds very good. The fact that we have a global labor market and if you need to hire a designer, you may do so in in Paris or you may choose one that is based in in, in South Africa, and the costs probably are are quite different for a, for an entrepreneur. But the implications for of of this kind of competition are quite. Uh, quite interesting for um, especially for developed uh, uh, nations and for Europe as a whole. Any thoughts on that, Raymond? Yes, it's, it's quite uh, paradoxical, isn't it? That at the same time, we have a, a bit of a reshoring of industrial jobs because of uh, the need, the realization that we need shorter supply chains to make them more secure, especially in strategic uh, sectors such as health supplies. But at the same time, uh, a tendency for offshoring uh, of certain services jobs, eh, which can be done in other countries at a fraction of the cost, which is presently done in advanced economies. So it's, it's a parallel movement. But I, I would also argue that uh, there are um, significant opportunities in, uh, in the care, in care work, uh, which requires interpersonal skills and face to face interaction. Uh, from health to some education services, which cannot be easily offshore to other countries. Uh, also culture and leisure related activities. Uh, there is a very significant untapped demand in all of those sectors. And of course, in the, in the area of health, I just mentioned, it's, it's quite important. And we have seen that um, because of the pandemic. And even within sectors which are very strongly hit by, in terms of jobs, by automation, such as banking or finance, uh, it is true that uh, there is significant decline in the number of people working in, uh, let's say, in, 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 uh, in banks, uh, in, in branches, in offices. Uh, but at the same time, there is an increase in the demand for personalized financial services. Uh, and so we've seen the fintechs and others. So even within uh, broad sectors, which used to provide me millions of jobs or commerce, which Cecile mentioned before, we have uh, uh, you know, areas where there's a decline in demand and areas where there's an increase. And so, uh, I mean, it's, it's very difficult for policymakers, of course, because it's uh, entirely uh, complex to, to uh, predict exactly where the different jobs will be. But clearly, we need more mobility, we need more skills and different types of skills. And that's, that will be uh, clearly, clearly the challenge. And I would say that, uh, in principle, the, um, at least, viewed from past um, waves of technological change, the productivity gains which can be expected to uh, happen at some point, which have not happened so far, but might be expected at some point from those changes can be significant and therefore be somehow used in order to expand those other areas of activities, as I mentioned before, care work, cultural, leisure related activities, for example where there is very significant demand and, and, and close to infinity almost uh, demand uh, for the future. So I think there we need, uh, I mean, we need to be aware of those, those opportunities and at the same time ensure that the, um, let's say, the enterprise sector is uh, operating in, uh, in, in an open manner so, that, so as to allow new competitors to emerge. And, uh, I mean, if there are barriers to competition to newcomers, I mean, this could be a major problem because this could be, it could inhibit, in fact, the opportunities which may arise and the productivity gains which may arise. So I think that's a very important consideration. 
that has to be kept in mind. Um, I'd like to I'd like to thank you both because we're running out of time. But this was uh, I think we you, we touched on so many aspects of the implications of the the new ways of working. So let let me let me thank Cecile Jolie, who's team leader at France Strategy. Thank you for for joining the Future is Blue podcast, Cecile. Thank you. And let me thank you, Raymond Torres, Funcajuro Director. Thank you, Raymond. Thank you very much. Thank you all for joining. This was all for now. We will come back soon with more exciting speakers on Europe's economic and policy-related key debates. Future is Blue is a Funcas Europe initiative. I'm Carlos Carnicero Ravallen, and if you enjoyed this podcast, feel free to recommend it to others and share it on social media. Thank you all, and stay well.